Welcome back to all the new you maniacs to the spinner rack here at the Marvel New Universe Comics Podcast, the voice of the new universe. We're your hosts. Andy with Cyforce 15. I was imagining you kind of waving your arms like Hulk Hogan on that one. <laughs> okay. And Steven with DP7 number 15. Uh, my arms are very well under control. Thank you. <laughs> The New Universe was launched in 1986 as an imprint from Marvel Comics dedicated to a more grounded and less fantastic approach to comics and world building. The idea was the world outside your window with real-time progress and more realistic technology, physics, and biology. Eight new comic series launched in one month set in our world in 1986. This week, we are covering two issues that we thought might have a crossover and saved our space next week for what we expect to be a key issue of justice. So we haven't tried putting Cyforce and DP7 together before, and we'll... Like, like chocolate and peanut butter. I don't know. Mm. So it could Maybe be the like... longest episode ever. <laughs> like chocolate and dark chocolate. With our podcast, you can follow along with us each week as we go through each comic in the order they hit the spinner rack, or just check out individual comics if you already have a favorite. We have a uh, Season 3 Trivia Challenge now posted on our website, and you can always check with uh, our Twitter account at Kickers Inc. for uh, updates of upcoming uh, episodes. Yeah, get the scoop. Um, so yeah, so this week I'll be covering Cyforce, uh, a group of teenage paranormal runaways bound together by a psychic entity called the Cyhawk. Cyforce! Ah! <laughs> Cyforce! <laughs> uh, so Cyforce 15 is, where do you go if you're a paranormal and you can't control your powers? If you're Michael Crawley, you go to the clinic. But as DP7 knows, the clinic is the last place you'd ever want to go. <laughs> Wait, they all decide to stay there? Yeah, I, I, this was written beforehand, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Now it's uh, it's nice. I mean, aside from the race war, but, you know, <laughs> chilling. Come for the health care, stay for the race war. <laughs> written by Danny Fingeroff. So, writing consistency. Nice. And this week, I'll be covering DP7. A group of seven paranormals, now in control of a formerly sinister medical facility, created to deal with the booming paranormal deep population. DP7! We're testing out new uh, uh, ad lines for our, our titles. Let us know how you like them in the comments. More excuses for shouting. I will shout this whole episode by the time I'm done. Things have DP7 number 15. Things have gotten pretty quiet around the clinic lately, and that's the problem. DP7's Twilight cannot, does not want to control her tra tranquilizing power. But the more people who succumb to her power, the greater becomes her hunger. Written by Mark Gruenwald, penciled by Paul Ryan, inked by Danny Bulanati. And we will also be discussing um, the um, house ads, universe news, a letters page in one of the uh, issues. Um, pretty much covers yeah. it. Yeah, I'm starting to feel not surprised and ex and overwhelmed when we get a letters page. <laughs> like we used to be like, hey, what is this? <laughs> 
So who are these people? How did they do this? Yeah, it was, uh, I don't know. You can count on one hand, I think, the number of letter pages we had in the first year of the new universe. Yeah, yeah, but I guess they did say they wanted to do more with that, right? Like, try and be more consistent, more ads, more crossovers. Yeah, some of the stuff we're seeing in the, uh, like, Marvel Age talking uh, about the new universe is getting more... Well, like the ideas that we were kind of initially thinking, I guess because they've become, you know, more more standard now of uh, more um, community involvement, you know, soliciting feedback from the readers, uh, tighter continuity, I, you know, things like that, uh, consistency of creative teams. Uh, more complaining about DP7 timelines. <laughs> <laughs> All right, no, I don't want to spoil the letters page. <laughs> uh, I, I, at this point, everyone will just say, ah, it was a shooter's idea. Shooter. <laughs> yeah, probably. Uh, but yeah, so let, let's let's do some Cyforce number 15 here. Um, it's throwing me off because their cover date is January 1988. So cover date yeah. moving along. Um, though in reality it came out September uh, 1987 so 88 we started in 86 man I feel like we've been doing this for 100 years now <laughs> so the last time the Chicago Bears were good like 1988 or something I don't know <laughs> uh, yes it's Force 15 so uh, as mentioned we have Danny Fingeroth again writing he wrote the annual and the most pre- previous issue uh that dealt with tyrone getting kidnapped and uh maybe uh unwanted or slightly too violent rescue from thomas boyd who's joined the team uh who has replaced michael crawley um and this issue seems to be about him so i guess we'll start with the cover which has dp7 guys on it so um you can't really see him, but it's pretty obviously Mastodon. It says his name on there. He's got like a cool the charge of Mastodon logo and like that like starry pattern, like 99 cents off kind of thing. Um also underneath the uh corner art and the numbering for the issue, we've got a little starring DP7 square. So like they're throwing things that like I guess this is the the push, right? You know, we got hey, look, you like Mastodon, here's Mastodon in Cyforce. You like TP7. They're in this book too. Oh, you know, it's I mean, it's a little intimidating though because I mean, we we sort of mentally divide things into solo titles and team titles, and it seems like throwing two teams together just makes like too many people running around. Yeah, a couple. So of we times. did have that DP seven kickers issue where the all the boys fought and the girls shook their heads. <laughs> oh, you boys! Yeah, but um, yeah, the Paul Ryan penciling really helped on that. So it did. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so the cover has um, at first it doesn't really look like Michael Crawley, but clearly Michael Crawley kind of like. Uh, backed up against a large tree with Mastodon, Dave Landers like charging at him. Uh, and it looks like he's uh, 
probably is using his powers to blow up the ground nearby. What I can just kind of assume is Scuzz, though it's kind of hard to tell because he's kind of in the background and shaded. Um, I was also going with Scuzz on that. Um... The cover art I don't think is credited here, but unless it's really, really well hidden. I couldn't find it. I'm going <clears> to <throat> guess it's Texiera from okay. the previous uh, like, works he did. It was like the most anti-Liefeldian cover ever because it's got a big bare foot, like front and center <laughs> with all toes and like details and shading. And it's quite quite the foot. <laughs> yeah, it's... Um... <clears throat> I don't yeah it, it like we said mastodon isn't facing the the viewer the reader um scuzz is like under mastodon's foot so it's kind of hard to make out and michael is um kind of small but he is facing the reader so you can kind of tell who he is but it's not bad like action but it's it's not as obvious who the who the characters are which is the only drawback i'd say right this is true. So let's open up the book. Our title splash page is Displaced Paranormal. Hey, I'm one of them. <laughs> um, so yeah, Danny Fingeroth, writer, Javier Salteras as penciler, Tony DeZuniga, which I always feel like I'm saying wrong as inker. Um, and Tony, if you're out there, you're welcome to come on for a quick interview and correct us. Yes. Zuniga. Zuniga. Why do you keep <laughs> saying it that way? <laughs> Javier had done um oh what was filtered it? Filtered through American Polish or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Javier had done uh Spitfire and <clears throat> codename Spitfire number twelve or eleven. Okay. I'm saying. Yeah, I, I know he's been on books before, so um so the our opening page is basically Michael blowing the doors off of a little general store is the best i can say of it um he's interestingly it says he's in renner south dakota at 3 a.m which i looked up and is in kind of like the eastern corner of south dakota um so not quite there uh, if you're headed to wisconsin um it would be about a 26 hour drive or a 23 day walk so i'm not sure how he got there uh it's like 1700 miles um, yeesh yeah, I think that might be a 23-day walk if you never stop. So he's been gone from the title since the annual, which is like two issues? Yeah, two issues, two months. So we, yeah, real time. Can, yeah. Could kind of make sense. I'll buy it. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, the, I, again, not to deliberate on this cover, got to get into the book, but uh, there's an ad for like Coke catch the wave coke on the front end there and just out of curiosity i looked up that slogan and there's a, a delightful ad like a tv ad for that on youtube that is well worth looking up if uh, if someone's so interested um it's from 1986 and it's super 1980s so wait on the inside front cover no, actually, just like on the building that he's blowing up, it says "Catch oh. the Wave Coke." Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, <laughs> nice. Now the inside front cover has that gross uh, M and M's ad and the weird bendy arm thing. It just bothers me. Yeah, it's a little disturbing. It's like they they have a swatch giveaway or something. Yeah, um, Catch the Wave Coke. Yeah, and the product placement in the new unit is always interesting. 
<laughs> yeah, so you know, diving into the story, uh, Michael, in fact, you know, literally blows the door up to get in. So we find that he's breaking in uh, to steal food, right? So he's just, he left, but without much of a plan, uh, he's headed east, um, but he's trying to break in to grab some food. Uh, he still doesn't have great control of his powers, so it kind of takes out the whole door instead of just the lock mechanism. Um, and as he's grabbing some food, is some salami and some rolls, uh, he gets pretty much immediately accosted by the owner who lives upstairs. He gives him freeze, punk. He's like, you're the dumbest burglar I ever saw. Made enough noise to wake up the whole county, and I was just sleeping upstairs. Guess you're going to learn the hard way. Nobody robs John Breuer's store and gets away with it. I mean, everybody knows that, right? You don't mess with John. Words to live by. Don't take John's, John's salami. He'll get you with his shotgun. <laughs> but I guess I guess people do mess with John Breuer's uh, of Renner, South Dakota, because uh, Michael sort of panics and blows up his gun. Uh, so blows up his gun, but again... A little careless with the control because knocks John out. <laughs> um, so it says minutes later, he kind of props him up and bandages him. He says, oh, that's, that's, hopefully that stopped most of the bleeding. Hopefully you weren't hurt too bad. I'm really sorry. Um, so he didn't mean to hurt the guy. And obviously Michael was sort of in the wrong there. Um, but just as he gets him patched up, the cops show up. Uh, so in order to get out, he blows up the back door and runs out into the woods. Um, he actually kind of uses like the, like the Batman villain thing where like the cops are going to have to help the store owner. So they won't have time to chase me. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, you're our hero, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> things aren't going so well. Uh, yeah. We kind of cut to him and uh, half an hour later, deep in the Dakota woods, you know, he's like just living in the woods with nothing but a backpack, you know, eating a sandwich that he stole from that poor guy. He just half blew up. <laughs> um, so we get some recap from there, um, kind of talking about how he found his um, friends and sort of formed the, yeah, he actually calls or thinks of it himself as Force here, which is rare. Uh, but I guess we're trending that way as far as things go. I think, uh, yeah, so he, when he left in the yeah. annual, he was looking through these old computer disks and they had called it Cyforce and they'd also given him a code name, which I don't, don't think he uses once here. So I never learned that. No, the solicitations like the code names, but Salvo, I think. Yeah, he doesn't seem like a Salvo. Still. <laughs> Yeah, he kind of recaps the annual, essentially, because that was the last book that he was in, uh, where he was trying to, he was looking through those files, trying to figure out which kid should leave the group, uh, essentially, like who would be okay, uh, or who needs the, the least amount of help. And he ends up sort of settling on himself, uh, but not not until after the Cyhawk freaks out and gets like super violent. Um, it was trying to defend them against terrorists in the annual but for some reason if there's six psychics that form the cyhawk that's too much and cyhawk gets mean so drunk angry power drunk cyhawk kind of thing 
we're not it really wasn't sure. like a uh, another Emmett Proudhawk uh, dream where six rabbits go nuts and uh... <laughs> six rabbits summon an even angrier hawk or something. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's, I don't think we've seen the Cyhawk since then, right? Uh, it's yeah, it's been a couple of issues. Yeah. Hmm. So he takes off and he's alone and hates it. So he's kind of miserable uh, in the woods. Um, you know, we cut to the next page. He's made it to LaSalle, Minnesota, uh, nine in the morning. So he's basically walking around trying to find a job, uh, trying to get some sort of money or just find some place to be. Uh, basically gets turned down every anywhere. Like, uh, you don't have any references. You, you can't drive. You don't have a social security card. You don't have any muscles. Yeah. You don't have any muscles. Guy, guy really makes it lays into him. Hire a shrimp like you. This is man's work, kid. Take a hike. <laughs> oh, he didn't have to bite his head off. <laughs> this is guy's on a break from the WWF there, and it's like, okay, okay. Anyway, but yeah, I don't know that you do want to hire the fourteen-year-old for road work, but. Yeah, I mean, I understand the the even in like 1980s small town America, the opportunities for a uh, 14 year old are pretty slim pickings. But yeah, know. in pop culture, you're either paper route or nothing, I think, at that age. So um, but he pulls out a fragment of a newspaper ad and it's actually like that same ad that we saw in Universe News for the clinic. Uh have strange things been happening to you lately? Has your own body become a stranger to you? That just sounds like puberty. Um, <laughs> have you suddenly acquired unusual talents or disabilities? Uh, when no one else can help you, we can. The Clinic for Paranormal Research. 1-800-555-NORM. Norm. 555-PARA or something. Um, but yeah, he basically, so he ends up calling and, and we don't really get the full conversation. Um, they kind of uh, fade out a little bit as he's as he calls them, so we don't really know. Uh, it didn't sound like they were sending someone to pick him up. Um, yeah, an hour later, he's hitchhiking, and uh, basically, you know, two random guys stop and pick up the fourteen-year-old kid. What could go wrong? Um, and it's a Cadillac. It's kind of like uh, you know, blue, dark windows. And he's like, oh, they stopped for me and a caddy to boot. With my luck, though, they're probably axe murderers inside. And so uh, two guys, so Glenn and Bill. Uh, we got a dark-haired guy with a mustache and a white-haired guy who talks a little bit more. Uh, that would be Bill. Um, kind of just generic dudes, I guess. Um, and so they're really nice to him. He's like, Man, where are you going? Western Wisconsin. That's where we're going. He's like, oh, hey. Mike, thanks for the ride. Uh, they give him a sandwich, which is just like pretty much, you know, don't get into the car with the guy who's giving you candy. Like that's kind of 101, I, I guess. But he's hitchhiking. So <laughs> um, kind of a funny I mean, my mind is just probably wrong, but it's like, oh, wow. He hands him the sandwich. It's like, oh, wow, thanks. My stepmother used to make them big and thick like this. <laughs> mm. It's like, 
Uh, don't look like you got anyone making them for you now. He's like, oh, I guess I got pretty skinny. So he's chomping down on the sandwich, you know, kind of telling his sad story a little bit. Um, the guys sort of sympathizing with him as they drive along. Um, but it really doesn't, doesn't take too long before the Cadillac is now being chased and pulled over by three police cars. So something's up. Um, and the guys are telling Michael, oh, we're just simple salesmen, honest ones. And Michael's worried, <laughs> Michael's worried that the police are after him. Um, but the cops are pretty rough with uh, Glenn and Bill. This is they pull him out of the car, like, you know what we're you know what we're after. Um, and although they don't find anything on them, um, they handcuff everybody, handcuff Michael. He says, I was I'm not with them, I was just hitchhiking. Like, yeah, tell it to the judge, kid. <laughs> too bad for you that you don't have any ID. Now you'll sit in the slammer until we can find out who you are. Uh-oh. Um, which is the last thing that a 14-year-old kid wants after he had had to escape CIA-hired assassins, right? So he's a little afraid, a little paranoid. Um, I mean, he, to be honest, he is a little, like, aware of the the that like getting into the car with these guys is going to be kind of dangerous in the first place. But um, he, he just, I think figures his own, his power can get him out of situations. So he's like willing to risk it, but yeah, through the whole issue, he's like, so on edge with like, Oh, these guys are trying to get me. Oh, Oh, here's someone else who's trying to get me. Oh, is this, is this guy trying to get me? I bet he's trying to get me. <laughs> um, so yeah, yeah, this is another case of it, and it's just kind of building as it goes along. Yeah, that, that's a good point, though. I mean, if he had, <laughs> if worst comes to worst, you know, he could blow up Bill and Glenn's heads and move on. I mean, <laughs> he's not going to because he's a nice kid, but you know, he could probably get him. You're right; he could probably get himself out of that's most situations. Uh, oh, tell that to John Breuer, the uh, store owner. Yeah, he's a nice kid. Hey, I almost killed my. <laughs> Yeah, well, Sorry. <laughs> so just let the kid have the salami. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so Pop starts calling him in, you know, giving Michael's information to dispatch, and he freaks out. He says, No, uh, blows up the radio, blows up the cop's guns. So, actually, a pretty effective use of the power, blows up all of the police cars, <laughs> uh, maybe hits all their tires, uh, and then also. Uh, the handcuffs right so he frees glenn bill and himself and they pull off on the cadillac uh, the cops are like what just happened it's like oh they're getting away and then the third guy's like good let them get away far far away <laughs> he's about done i guess uh, two days from retirement i'm not chasing some psychic kid all over creation here that's always when you go down <laughs> basically you want to take those last two days as vacation days so, so yeah, so uh, Michael's like, oh, I know what you're thinking. I did that. Don't, I won't, you know, never mind how. I'll do the same to you. Or, you know, and if you try anything, you know, just get me away from here. There's so much trouble. And so he's, he's a little freaked out. Um, he's like, they were talking. You guys are trouble. You're criminals. He says, sure, we're criminals. If loving your kids is a crime. Sounds a lot like he's saying, sure, we're criminals. If loving kids is a crime. <laughs> Look, if molesting kids is a crime, then sure, 
You're criminals, but I mean, he could be old enough for that guy in Justice. <laughs> 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 that was uh, you know, blowing up the uh, you know, like the oil drilling site or something like that. Maybe they're related. Um, uh, we can kind of see into when I think the dark haired guy's head is oh, what line is he feeding the kid? So you know, we're kind of okay, these guys are definitely shady. And he says they're wanted because they're both way behind on child support payments, uh, which maybe doesn't get three police cars after you. Um, but he tells them this big story about how their wives won't let them see their kids and, you know, they're holding back the money until they let them see them, <laughs> yada, yada, yada. Um, and uh, Michael basically buys it. Um, and he's like, oh, like, I feel bad for you guys, but I can't be with you. We've got after we go a safe distance, let me out. Um, and Bill lets him go and he's really nice to him. And he's like, here's my card. You can you can contact us anytime you want. Here's a couple hundred bucks. You know, see you later, kid. Okay. Like that's a little strange. Um and so Michael's left saying, Oh, they were really good guys after all. Uh, life's given them a raw deal too. And uh, as the car drives away, we hear, we get the the two guys conversation. Like, what was that all about? It's like, ah, Glenn, old buddy, I was just staking us a claim to the find of a century. <laughs> um, so yeah, basically, you know, they think they they think that kid's got nothing. Like they were the only ones nice to that nice to him, and he's so paranoid. Something bad's going to happen. He's going to run back to them too, and then they can use him for their criminal schemes. Um, so yeah, we're not. They're not like hiding that these guys are suspicious and have something up their sleeves at all. So yeah, so so we the readers know, but Michael does not. Um, also, the use of the term, he'll come running back to us to the poor daddies the world's abused. So <laughs> the the undertones to this thing are very uncomfortable. I got to tell you. So. Yeah. There's loving, a lot of like terminology for loving that. kids is a crime if you're taking it that far. <laughs> um, but yeah, so basically, say, you know, we'll we'll use him for a couple of jobs and then blow his brains out before he's wise to anything. So, oof, okay, yikes! <laughs> Come on, uh, Glenn, you don't even try to talk him out of it. I don't know. Sounds good. Really? <laughs> that sounds good. <laughs> uh, so they pull the car up to, you know, basically a small river. Uh, go digging under in the wheel well and pull out a kilo of pure smack, uh, which I had to look up as heroin. Yeah, yes. It's not up on my my drug terms, I guess. Uh, I did remember the smack. Yeah. Our contacts in Chicago paid dearly for this. And is then, yeah, they roll the Cadillac into the water to such a waste, but better than being found by the troopers. Unfortunately, it's cost uh about the same as a kilo of smack so i don't really know what we're doing here <laughs> that's what i was thinking too it's like you know you're making like five thousand in profit and you just you know, killed a four thousand dollar car and yeah okay well i don't know i, I think that a kilo of smack's probably worth more uh because he said you'd bet five thousand that the kid would show back up again um, yeah getting just kilogram a of google Heroin might be like a hundred thousand bucks. Yeah, I'm getting like a couple hundred thousand for a kilo of coke in the '80s, so maybe it's about that. Uh, but that's so probably okay. what you'd pay. I mean, if if we're doing 
current dollars, like a nice Cadillac now has got to be pushing close to a hundred thousand. So. Oh, really? Oh, okay. I don't know. They're expensive. So. Yeah. The caddy, I don't know. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, they lost, they're cutting into their profit margin there for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, a <laughs> uh, short time later, not far from La Crosse, Wisconsin. Um, did we yeah, have looking at the map, they've gone like straight across I 90, I think, from about Sioux Falls, right across Minnesota to La Crosse in Wisconsin. Okay. That's... I think I've done that drive. Yeah, if you're coming across the the west to east, that's that's a good way to go. Yeah. All right, so uh, but Michael's made it to the clinic, so he basically strolls right in, um, finds a lady at the desk, introduces herself as Rhoda Delk, the head nurse. Uh, she takes him to the director, uh, and I think this is our first look at the director actually for DP seven. Um, Tannis Newhouse, a woman with sort of reddish brown hair and like a pink dress. Um, she says, so, I want to say that Miss Newhouse was in there in a DP7 last issue or the one before, maybe the one before where um, they were like voting on who would be the new leader. Mm. And this like accountant got the, got the thing. Right. I think Newhouse was in there, but they never like, uh, said he was she was going to take over from him um but yeah then i don't, it's there's yeah two characters tannis newhouse and juris ziegler those two weird first names that are kind of similar i mean yeah they're just spun the weird wheel of names or something <laughs> that come up with those ones so. um okay so yeah, so introduced to these two two new guys who I guess are running the clinic to a degree together. Uh, she's like, yeah, tell us about your ability. And he's like, uh, make things blow up. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's unusual enough. You've gone to the right place. Um, uh, that's Jeff, just what we're looking for. Jeff busts in our speedster from DP7 uh, carrying a plate of food. <laughs> uh Kind of hard to tell. He's like super blurry and just kind of zips in. They yell at him to get out of there and he zips back out, um, which kind of makes Michael a little bit paranoid. It's like, why are they trying to hide something? You know, why do they make him leave kind of thing? Um, then they run him through a couple series of tests, kind of like classic, you know, sit on the, sit at the table, bend the spoon kind of thing, except he's blowing up a bottle, uh, you know, to kind of show what he can do. Um, and then blowing up a log and then blowing up an engine. <laughs> so I guess he's like, just... he's like, why is this such a, uh, th this room just cinder blocks? It looks like a prison cell. You're blowing up things in there, man. That's the test. <laughs> Shrapnel. <laughs> uh, so yeah. Um, and, um, what's his name? Not Juris. Uh, it's kind of like, all right, we, we've been working 36 hours nonstop. We need a break. Like, let's let's just we'll pick this up tomorrow. Uh, the director, she says, no, you know, this guy's all nervous. Like, let's get it all done today. Let, let's let's finish the job. Um, so they throw him in an MRI. <laughs> um, the CAT scan, I guess. Uh, so hold still cat scan so that you have to be strapped in for you have to hold still it's making michael even more nervous 
Um, you know, there's these big magnets. You can't be in the same room. So he like closes the door and slams the big door. And basically just the kid is, is freaked out. So he's like, it's a trap. They're going to brainwash me or kill me. Like he doesn't know what they're doing. Um, so, you know, he breaks the bonds, you know, sort of the straps. He blows up the entire CAT scan machine. Like that's expensive. Uh, probably more than the Cadillac. Um, he was thinking like, they won't be able to use that machine on anyone else. And if they try and stop me, they'll be real starry. So he blows a hole in the wall and runs out of the building. So he's really lost it. Thinking to himself, how could I have been so stupid? I should have known it was a trap. But like, you know, but wait, what are these loud footsteps behind me? Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> uh, Dave Landers uh, in kind of an interesting outfit. Uh, be is sort of a blue sleeve sleeveless, almost Viking unitard looking thing. I don't know. It's like a Viking toddler. Yeah, maybe is is still working. Um, what was it? Uh, garbage duty at the clinic or something? Right. Yeah. Not quite yet. Security. Uh, so he's like, "You halt!" <laughs> and uh, Scuzz, Dave or Dennis Kaczynski is there too. He's like, get real, Master Don. From the looks of things, this guy just blew up half the place. He ain't going to halt. It's like, Unless we make him halt. Uh-huh. So all, all throughout here, like the, the DP7 characters feel a little bit off, written by someone else. Uh, not too yeah. bad, but just, just something, something's a little off. It's, uh, it's very, uh, yeah, like... Um... Well, the, I mean, the, there's always a lot of dialogue, you know, and he's like, yeah, Scuzz's thing. Unless we make him halt, you don't like my Scuzz effect? Well, creep, that's the idea. I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. He's like calling out his attacks like an anime or something. Yeah. <laughs> then he, he literally refers to Dave as Mastodon. He, as himself, as, yeah, like, my scuzz attack from me yeah. scuzz i'm the scuzz attack guy but yeah he, he like grabs him on the shoulder and burns him with the acid touch like straight through his shirt i suppose uh landers does like a ground pound thing which feels a little comic booky honestly where he like slams the ground and like earthquakes and so <laughs> crawley goes yeah flat. he's neither avalanche nor the hulk um that's yeah <laughs> Avalanche? Yeah. I mean, that doesn't even happen if a tree falls in the forest, like a big log. So, uh, so yeah, that's a little goofy, but uh, you know, Michael's not to be outdone. Basically, he uses his explosion powers to like make a big blast in between the two and, and escape, uh, throws up a bunch of dust and makes kind of like a trench in the ground. So, um, he kind of runs off, uh, in the chaos there. It's like he's gone. Well, let's go inside and see what that's all about. The uh, nice word from Scuzz there. Uh, Mastodon's like, I can't see a thing. And Scuzz says, Me neither. And I sure don't want to fall in that pit. Was pit emphasized there in bold? I'm getting bold, but mm. I don't know. That could just be our like subliminal whatever. Probably. It's only one T pit. <laughs> anyway, so Michael goes huff- huffing it, running away. Um, 
and you know in between basically tracks down uh len and bill right our our criminal masterminds with the soggy cadillac um and they're they're basically have in a house like just kind of maybe one of theirs wives linda or it's not really well explained i don't know he says girlfriend yeah um you know kind of talking again they're they're super nice to him you know they play ping pong while uh bill's like a eh, natural chimp it's more like it the jerk <laughs> can't tell i'm letting them win now it's time to make my pitch <laughs> So, so he gives him like the insurance scam pitch, like, oh, we got this house and it's not worth much, but the insurance is amazing. So if we just blow it up, you know, no traces of gasoline, like we'll be rich and I'll give you $4,000, which is honestly a lot if you're a kid in 1987. But, um, and so Michael's considering, he's like, that's oh, wrong, but you know tried the other ways to get a job i tried to go to the clinic you know this is the only way i can survive you know i won't have to steal i won't have to risk hurting people so i say like, all right i'll do it um and so you know our goons are happy we get a very smooth billy boy get him to do it before he has the chance to reconsider or to find out what he's really going to be doing <sighs> mm. <laughs> um so yeah, this is a 20-minute drive over to the house. And you know, basically they're trying, they're kind of, he's having second thoughts. They're kind of trying to talk him into it. You know, it's like, oh chicken out now. Well, I guess be <laughs> fine. I thought I had a grown-up here with me, uh, but I guess I'm still dealing with the little child baby man. Let's take Michael baby back to home. Baby Michael. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it works <laughs> and, and just as he's about to uh he's like okay here we go he's like now yeah, you make it a big explosion like we gotta take this house out strong foundation uh, then we get an interruption and our interruption to prevent this house explosion happens to be jeff running in at super speed um either running into or punching michael <laughs> not really sure um Either way, I'm thinking that would hurt a lot. Uh, someone coming at you, force equals mass times acceleration, right? So that's a lot of speed. That's going to be a lot of force behind that punch. Uh, but he kind of gets up and, you know, like like not much. So maybe he just gave him a little a little nudge. I don't know. Uh, and <laughs> just remembering that issue where he, uh, like a guy's had guns on him and he like, quickly takes the guns out of them and he realizes he took their fingers off. Yeah. Ouch. <laughs> yeah, just gotten more control, I think, over the years. So hopefully. So. Well he's not like running into a circle to create a tornado or something. <laughs> so <laughs> Ugh, improvements. All right, so, so Michael gets back up. He says, you, one of those zombies from the clinic. I know you can't help yourselves. You're brainwashed. He's all, I'm actually kind of right there that they were. <laughs> I mean, it's, brainwashed. It's, it's the great irony of this issue is like just two issues ago, he would have been 100% correct about the clinic. Like it's a yep. <laughs> you know, sketchy organization that's out to, to uh, take paranormals for a ride and blah, blah, blah. But yeah, because between like 
they're just basic setup and his own paranoia. He's like overdoing it by leaps and bounds. But anyway. Yeah. Accidentally correct. Um, it's like, keep back or I'll explode you. He says, you can't, I'm too fast. Uh, or I want if I wanted to hurt you, I would have done it already. And then, uh, you know, the, I don't know, what is this? Like the, the G.I. Joe, knowing it's half the battle van, comes rolling up with. <laughs> I always Randy. think it's the Scooby van, but okay, I don't know. <laughs> I'm just thinking more of like what happens afterwards, not so much what it looks like. It's like, listen to him, Mike. He's telling the truth. <laughs> we don't want to hurt you. We understand why you did what you did. We've been looking for you. It's because we don't Somebody know about did. exploding the cat scan. That was pretty expensive, Mike. I don't know. Yeah. So you're going to be working in the cafeteria for a while, <laughs> Michael. <laughs> He's like, he's like that Scuzz guy and somebody else and two other flying somethings. And so we get the ex- the explanation. Those are my antibodies, Mike. I'm Randy O'Brien. Isaac, why are you telling him your last name? Um, they were able to cover a lot of area and finally spot you. We were going to leave. We, we were going to leave you be for a while, give you time to cool off. But our hand was forced. <laughs> it's like forced by That's what? the angriest I've ever seen Randy look, I think. It doesn't really match the dialogue there. <laughs> Those are my bodies, you dumb kid. <laughs> dialogue. Hi, kid. I'm glad to meet you. I'm Randy O'Brien. Blah, blah, blah. Hey, Antibody's names are Groucho, Zippo. <laughs> I recently had a uncomfortable racial incident with a girl I liked. <laughs> okay. Like to learn more. <laughs> Randy, Randy, like Scuzz is making like cut it noises, yeah. motions. Too much, too too much, much man, animation. too much. We want him to come join us, not run screaming. <laughs> um, so then, the, like, ultra conveniently, it's like, oh, well, your two friends, these guys are about to have you commit murder. My antibody heard them whispering while they were uh, <laughs> behind you walking. Um, so, yeah, I guess. There's, there's a guy who's who was going to testify against them, a little cliche, even for the 80s, perhaps, uh, living in that house. Uh, so he was going to blow up that guy. Um, okay. so, so blow up the house, you blow up innocent people. And, you know, Bill's hoping for one last Hail Mary. He's like, he's lying, Mike. We'd never do that to you. Uh, so the antibody kind of grabs him and flies him over to the house and to peep into the window onto the nice family with the dad with the pipe and the newspaper and the mom carrying the baby and stuff. So they're trapped in the 1950s. I don't know what happened. <laughs> they're just wax sculptures. It's, it's all a setup from the clinic, probably. <laughs> well, Bob Dobbs in the Church of the Subgenius, if you uh, want a deep cut on that one. Okay, wow. <laughs> Flew well overhead like an antibody. Sorry. Um, so Glenn and Bill are jigs up. It's like, okay, freaks, amateur detective hour is over. So they pull out guns. Um, but, you know, guns are no match for someone grabbing your arm when you have a gun. So Scuzz kind of grabs the one guy's hand or arm and makes him drop the gun with his acid touch. It's this quick thinking blur. I got this one, and you know Jeff punches the other guy out. So you know, when 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 did we start using all these code names? It feels weird. 
Hey, once we go outside the clinic, let's use code names like we never do when we're hanging out in the clinic. Yeah, that's a good idea. Um, blur, right? Yeah. I never called you that before. I'm sorry. I'm Silvo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah that, so after one one last sort of failed uh, bargaining uh, attempt by uh, our good buddies, Glenn and Bill, who really love their children or just love children. Um, <laughs> you know, oh. They're pretty much done for. Um, so, you know, Scuzz kind of gives them one last, you know, arm burn grab scuzz attack <laughs> indian he... burn if i ever see you in this neighborhood again <laughs> you're you're like attempted murder and drug uh trafficking and you're just letting him off with like noogie patrol what's up with that <laughs> so a noogie from scuzz would be a rather painful yeah but yeah they basically like don't come around here again and they burn him and michael blows up their car <laughs> uh so yeah, I guess effectively scaring them away, but I, I guess they get away with anything and the poor family in their little house is going to wonder why in the world that car got exploded. Now they're down two cars. So it's true. They, and that, the, you know, but they are free to try to murder that family some more on their own. Well, that's a good point. They could just walk down there. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, they did blow up our guns, but I have two knives in a garage. And I'm like, Grr. Let's get these guys strangle the baby. I don't know. <laughs> Faster that way, sure. Okay. Anyway, so the the DP seven van drives off. Uh, you know, headed back to the clinic, and the day has been saved apparently. Um, except for yeah, the the fact that you pointed out they could just as easily go back and kill that poor family. Um. So riding back. Eating burgers, you know, again, hey, Blur, leave a few burgers for the rest of us. We bought 15. I'm like, ha, 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 he eats a lot. <laughs> well, really, like, the suddenly the dialogue is just out of control on this last page. Like, trying to uh, zip everything together rapidly. It's like word balloons, 90% of the panel. I don't know. Yeah, we kind of get hit into... Uh... Like whatever the letterer's version of eight point font is for all this kind of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, they kind of explain, you know, like why things went a little wrong in the beginning. Like, oh well, the you know, our our clinic head they were just tired, you know, I, you know, I wasn't supposed to show my powers off, you know. You can't really blame us for attacking you since you blew up half of the building and you were just some strange dude running away. Blah 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 blah. <laughs> Um, those guys were bad. Uh, we know about being hunted and used for our special abilities too. That's why we came after you to help you. Clinic's not perfect, but it benefited us. Maybe it could do some good for you. Help you live with the strange things you can do. Randy's right, Mike. I mean, if I can learn to adjust my weird power, even work there as a cook, I bet the clinic can help you too. The clinic helped me quit smoking. <laughs> Ugh. So yeah, it's, it's a bit much. Uh, um, there's no, it's no day at the beach there, Mike. I've almost split a couple of times myself. You split for like a year. What are you talking about? Right. <laughs> but I've decided it's a good place and I'm staying. And starting a division for folks in my in your and my age group could be a gas. 
<laughs> Who is this guy? <laughs> Scuzz takes his mask off and it's uh I don't know, Dexter Charn or something. I don't know. <laughs> uh, though there's a, a little clue for what is next. So there's some nice sort of synergy there. And Michael's like, Are you crazy? I don't want to be off by myself in the woods eating stolen sandwiches. You know, I'm 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 here. Like, give me a second chance. I'm with you. Uh, so he shakes hands, shakes hands with the antibody, and we get one last bit of, you know, yeah, I wonder how my friends back in San Francisco are doing. And it's like, for the answer to Mike's question, be here for Psy 416. As for Mike's fate, you'll be see, seeing that every month in the pages of DP7. Don't miss either mag. So they're hitting the connections really hard, um, though perhaps... Holy the- the dialogue is the only victim. Yeah. Fully adopting one of the members from one group into another was a little unexpected, I got to admit. Um, True. Since I'd never read Cyforce before, I, you know, if he shows up in DP7 and they're like, here's a new guy, Michael, and I'd be like, huh, whatever. Okay. So, yeah, it makes sense to interact with new people coming to the clinic. Yeah. Yeah. Um they paid for the advertising in the newspaper for the full year, so we'll be still coming. <laughs> so, you guys want to keep running that ad? We got a whole new management here. We don't even know who paid you last time. Um anyway. Yeah, I blew up our medical lab. They're going to have to focus on some other, uh, just the uh, hypnotism that the uh, therapists do or something, because they're <laughs> not going to do any more f- physical measurements, I guess. Oh, yeah, the, uh, this is an interesting issue. I don't, I don't know. It's, it was um, a little unexpected for me to, yeah, have a whole um, issue devoted to Michael on his own. Um Although the like the transition to a new title, I guess that makes sense, and uh, it's certainly full enough. You don't need to keep switching back and forth between him and what's going on in San Francisco. So yeah, okay, yeah. I mean, like thirty-five years late, but didn't I call this in a previous issue that like maybe he'll go and join the clinic? Like, I feel like I had that thought. It sounds familiar. Um, I don't know how to tell you. I never really listened to what you're talking about, though. So, embarrassing. <laughs> All right, I edited out everything you said. <laughs> like, oh, he sounds funnier than me. Eh, let's uh, the volume on that one. <laughs> uh, garbled, garbled. Oh, I don't know what he was saying there. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, uh, that's that's a good uh, supposition on your part. Uh, I do, but certainly like the better option rather than just losing the character or having him wander off into the sunset. Like it's, it's he can be a a minor character in this book, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's not like um, he was like the star of the show in Cyforce. And if the, like they want to put together scuzz and more kids. Okay. I guess that makes sense. Scuzz is really, what is he? 15, 16. Yeah, I think 15 or 16. Yeah. So Michael's 14 or 15. Okay. Yeah, that's pretty. Why not? Um, kids are very sensitive to how each how old each other are. That's true. Well, the relative age difference is a lot bigger. 
So, um, no, it's, it's, uh, yeah, I would say like story wise, like, like the direction is kind of nice. So it, I guess I'm, I would prefer knowing what happened to him rather than just have him disappear. And you could have done that too. Like have him show up like a year later and he's like gotten buff and like more like ripped up jeans living in the wild, like with the woodsman or something. <laughs> and he's been trained up and now he's hardcore. Uh, or, or you could have him, you know, still, still around, but, but yeah, like, you know, transferring teams, even though they're not really teams is, is kind of a cool idea. Um, yeah. As, as I said, when I was going over the book, like the, the dialogue for all of the DP seven characters rings really false. Or at least maybe everybody yeah. but Jeff is, is seems a little wrong. Oh uh, yeah, they're they're I don't know. It's really hard for us to tell because uh DP seven's always got the same writer. Like um you know if if you gave them to another writer, you know, how how close are you gonna be to the same experience and in this case, I don't know, Fingeroth I think of as like the the main Cyforce writer and a pretty consistent guy, but yeah, he he doesn't really nail DP7 at all. He may have been kind of like forced his hand, maybe editorial like forced his hand and like, all right, well, okay, if Cyforce reader doesn't know these characters, so you kind of have to introduce them. So then you get this sort of clunky dialogue where they're calling each other and like talking about their powers as they use them. and Yeah, yeah. It's I mean, that, that could be part of the problem. I mean, it's well, I mean, sort of focusing on Michael's like side of things, you really see this. Um, I mean, this really works as like the Incredible Hulk TV show, you know, like an 70s to 80s superhero TV show where no one has code names, no one has costumes someone has powers and there's kind of, you know, fighting a couple of dirt bags, you know, who've got a plan to use him right into something, work him into some nefarious scheme. Um, so yeah, like Bill and Glenn, those were the bad guys in this, this, you know, episode. If, if they were like, you know, smack master and you know <laughs> something i it'd be a little more, more memorable <laughs> mr daddy what daddy daddy <laughs> daddy dude um it'd be more more memorable but i don't sure like a little too over the top for this yeah. uh, what they're going for here I don't know um, if I love or hate when like randy drives up in the in the clinic van <laughs> and explains everything yeah, it it feels clunky in several aspects like that. I mean, I I don't dislike dislike it, but I I I have to, you know, I'll I'll say a B minus in terms of like eh, generally okay, but off model enough that I'm it it's distracting a couple here and there. Yeah, I would agree. That's what I was thinking too. B feels B minus. It's a little bit of a step back, not in direction. So I'm still like happy, a happy reader interested in what's going on. And now kind of interested in seeing uh, Michael show up in DP seven. Uh, but as, as a single issue read, it's a little meh. 
Right, right. So let's uh, take a quick look at some of the house ads we get in this issue. You yeah. Out, uh, a couple of things. I just, for, I'd forgotten, I'd noticed earlier, an ad for the um, Marvel tryout book. Right. Opposite page nine. This is interesting because they've already had the winner of the contest that that book is for. Yeah. It's... And I thought I remembered, I don't, I don't know if it was from an interview or it was like when we were talking to Mike Rockwitz in that one issue. Uh, but there was some story where like, you know, they had the tryout book, they had all these entries, they had kind of a, like a winner and then like nothing happened. Like they didn't go and get Mark Bagley and like hire him right away. It actually like took a little while afterwards. Yeah, yeah. It was either Rockwitz or, or Marvel Age sort of follow up or something. But yeah, yeah. when I, I saw it in the comic, I'm like, are they just messing with people now? <laughs> it's like, you know, no matter what you do, like they'll they'll just stack it in a pile somewhere in the Marvel offices and you'll never hear from them again. They, I mean, the Marvel tryout book is a full, uh, you know, size of original comic book pages. Um, filled with uh, pages to color, to ink, to letter, and then even to, to like write, script, draw, plot. Um, and they do say, you know, it's your chance to try out your creative skills under simulated combat conditions as close as possible to actual professional working conditions and create samples to prove your talent or just have fun creating a comic book just like the Marvel stars do. Um so yeah, you can, I mean, in, in the 80s, like cartoonist Kayfabe, the YouTube channel, always talk about when they were young and they had no way of knowing how to make a comic book. Yeah. And this really, really, you know, gives you a great demonstration, you know, what original art in blue pencil looks like. And then, oh, okay, to ink that, what would I have to do? And blah, blah, blah. Yeah, um, that's a good point. It's really uh, interesting if you, if you, yeah, any of you guys out there want to uh, take a look at it, I recommend it. I don't know how much they go for now, but I think they're somewhat expensive, but maybe not crazy. So I'm, yeah, I'm wondering if like they're they're trying to like clear out the uh, back stock here or something. But yeah. I'm, uh, more not so much a house ad, but I, I, we talked about it a little bit outside of the episode but there's a great like full two-page spread of konami nintendo video games which i totally grew up with um actually maybe not their best work but it's like russian attack and top gun and castlevania goonies 2 gradius like it's that this was a strong era for video games and i think this is when we start to see them uh popping up as ads in these books a lot okay Back when comic books had adver had people to advertise to. It's uh yeah, I wasn't doing games at the time, so it's a little out of my uh, sphere of influence. Um, but yeah, Konami, I did. I mean, I recognize the the company name. So, what are they? What system are they playing these on? Nintendo. Yeah. Yes. Okay. The entertainment system. Nice. Yeah, probably the big most relevant ad for the whole thing is the uh, Star Brand Eleven advertisement, right? Yeah, the opposite of the last page, we've got a nice uh, pits like a faked up uh, front page from the Pittsburgh Post Gazette. A real life superhero 
president stunned by super gift. France puts its troops alert. Something, something. Crazy man invades Russia by himself. <laughs> <laughs> Steelers QB quest. That's the 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 you know, <laughs> must, uh, yeah. You guys, you guys know what Pittsburgh's like. I got it. Um, yeah. So this has a a sort of a profile of Ken Connell in a comic booky costume um, on the front page of this um, newspaper with no mask on or anything. So Ken Connell goes public, though, it says in the star brand number 11 by John Byrne and Tom Palmer. So bi monthly. The is new, right? The star brand. It is new. Yes. They, yeah, um, this is our first superhero costume in all of the new universe for some reason. I believe you're right. So this is where things get even more interesting. <laughs> it's not your universe, idiot. <laughs> Did you like having a universe with no costumes and no code names? Well, how about a universe with costumes and code names? Uh, I, I guess. I Do we have pass to? The, pass the hamburgers, Blur. <laughs> so uh we've got uh something to look forward to i think we'll cover that in a couple week couple more episodes um shouldn't be too long but we'll see we are zooming through them uh we will take a quick break perhaps and come back with um dp7 number 15 and we'll cover the universe news for that month at that point i think all right Welcome back again, new you maniacs. Uh, we are going to head right into DP7 number 15, which uh, is cover dated January 1988. And those years go by so fast. And uh, we actually, as we said, are skipping ahead a couple weeks here. So while Cyforce was September 22nd, this is now October 6th, 1987, when we hit the spadans. Um it's a little flashback in the book itself, but its uh, basic idea has been that the DPs returned to the clinic, ousted the previous evil regime, and have now taken, uh, I wouldn't say taken over, but they've taken up residence there and are now, you have sort of a micro society in the clinic of all the paranormals and we're seeing how that's working itself out. Right. Maybe some of the nicer administrators are helping run things. That's right. We've got a uh, um, couple of the people we saw just a, uh, at the beginning in uh, Cyforce number 15. And uh, let me see, not all of them though. And um, anyway, jumping on in the cover is, um again the uh new universe logo um superimposed on the background but in this case it's black up on top so it looks a bit like the old 
black border logos. Come on, I I like it. It's nostalgic. <laughs> Pittsburgh colors. <laughs> nice gold beams of uh, Lenore, who seems to be coming through a window, terrifying a young man on a uh, bed. And in the uh, foreground, we see an arm of an antibody. Um, so you've got Lenore radiating at a child in bed uh, and an antibody in the foreground. And there's a couple of dolls, uh, a uh, Frankenstein and a Dracula. And a, interestingly, a um, picture on the wall of that same house, I think, where Dave met the ES people. Oh, yeah. Someone online said that that was like the psycho house or something. But hmm. anyway, the uh, caption is Twilight Hungers. And as you'll remember, Twilight is the code name for Lenore. Although I don't think anyone uses it in the book itself. And uh, they were she was also called. Well, uh, <laughs> though, if she showed up in Cyforce, it would have been like Twilight go. And then like she <laughs> The band door would have slid open. They would have like turned her in a chair to like knock people out with her powers. Like... Nice. Yeah, yeah. It's a uh... action squad of <laughs> they could just launch her with her face mask off into the into the enemies. Oh, it gets even better than that though, folks. So stay with us. Um going inside, we've got a splash page. And the credits, Mark Gruenwald and Paul Ryan, uh, back as writer, penciler, and co-creators. And Danny Bulanati as inker. And um, the title of this issue, Hunger. I, which, I guess this is after uh, the uh, David Bowie movie, The Hunger, which was also about vampires. So, uh -huh. Okay, I don't know that one. With, uh, Catherine Deneuve and Sarah Susan Sarandon is a uh is a very popular at the time i think uh art house kind of a style anyway we have uh lenore in the splash page visiting jeff blur uh walters and he is um he's like sitting in front of his tv watching an old dracula movie and he's like running up to answer the door and then running back without uh spilling a bowl of popcorn that was on his lap and he uh he laughs a little about it when he gets back to his seat and he and lenore talk for a moment she says uh he's started locking the door and he's like starts talking about uh the black powers which was i guess one of the other groups of paranormals that we saw last issue and uh he had turned down their invitations and now he that uh they've uh there's trouble going around in the clinic. A couple of guards who uh, got, uh, uh, well, they're in the hospital uh, <laughs> after a confrontation. And uh, she's distracted by the um, Dracula movie that's on his TV. I'm not sure if that's broadcast or VHS. I probably just broadcast it or something. Yeah, I see an antenna. I don't see a VCR. Okay. Good catch. The antenna. <laughs> Should we explain that to our younger viewers, <laughs> listeners? No. See them. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, no. So Lenore uh, is, thinks to herself, hmm, vampires, what a repulsive legend they are. Foreshadowing, foreshadowing. Anyway, Jeff uh, does a, um, 
a quick strip and jumps into bed while she's still standing there. And uh, he asks her to send her to him to dreamland. She takes off her mask and irradiates him with her bioluminescent whatever. And uh, she's thinking to herself, the sedat- sedative luminescence of my twilight effect is perhaps the only way to stop uh, Jeff's paranormal metabolism without drugs, basically. Twilight effect. Okay, well, there you go. Um, but she's uh, thinking about how while she's taking away his excess energy, she seems to be soaking it up for herself. And we get a little bit more detail on her face in these panels. Um, very little, but you, you we're starting to get the sense that she's younger and healthier than ever. And uh, that this is uh, really sort of getting her worked up. She feels like she's bursting with energy. I haven't felt this good for 50, 40, maybe 50 years. And uh, she says she won't be able to sleep herself until she works off some energy. So we segue to the clinic basement where she is on a treadmill. She's thinking to herself, she's only getting two or three hours of sleep herself a night. And uh, she's uh, walking along. She's thinking to herself a lot. Uh, Yes. (laughs) All the word balloons, thought balloons. Uh, One of Randy's antibody come by and... uh, they're a little random. This one just gets a uh, spot at the next treadmill and is kind of mimicking her. Um, she's thinking it's kind of joking. Um, she's suddenly uh, wonders whether her power can affect them. And she takes off a glove and the antibody is kind of Whoa! and it runs away. Um, she says she can feel some energy so i guess it does work on uh the antibodies um although it's not as potent as a real person yeah she says a poor substitute for human energy they don't satisfy me nearly as much <laughs> foreshadowing yeah she's uh like when the more... vampire movies and they got to survive on like animals and rats and stuff and they're not, right. not they can do it but they're not happy right right yeah she's uh well, she's never tried it before, which is um, uh, so I don't remember if we ever saw her with animals. That's a, actually a, another yeah. option that you mentioned. It's a little yeah. bold to like just try and st- suck some energy out of the antibody, though, right? It's just minding its business, doing its own thing. I'm just like, well, let's see if I can steal its energy. <laughs> A little, but I mean, it's it's kind of funny because they they never you know have dialogue, and so you're never quite sure what they're doing. Um, but it's you know the the idea that it's kind of running alongside you just as kind of a joke is like I I don't know you're you're in a jokey mood here. Try some bioluminescent uh, joke uh, for yourself. I don't... Eat my death beams. <laughs> But yeah, because we also don't know, like, if she just stood there next to someone for 45 minutes, do they die? Yeah, she's never, like, taken it to the uh, ultimate, I guess. Yeah, we've uh, still got a lot of questions with Lenore's power. She's only used them a couple of times, really. 
Ah, and Lenore has always been kind of a background character. So it's interesting. We finally have a Lenore-centric issue. So what do we find out about Lenore in this case? Well, hmm, she's <laughs> looking better all the time, apparently. Um, meanwhile, or elsewhere, Randy is having a dream of an antibody killing Charlie. And it wakes him up. And uh, he's thinking to himself about He's had uh, nightmares ever since one of his antibodies murdered someone, which he re doesn't note was in self-defense or something. But uh, now he's like worried because he's arguing with Charlie or he, he also had uh, issues with Charlie in the last, the last issue. Um, he's worried that one of his antibodies is going, went rogue and killed someone. And he's worried that the antibodies will put two and two together and kill Charlie for him. So perhaps uh, not unrealistically, he's uh, uh, both guilty and very concerned about what this is, uh, where this is headed. He has a quick flashback to the antibody that killed Charn. Um, and while he says his therapist insists he wasn't responsible for Dexter Charn's death, um, the antibodies act on subconscious impulses, and uh, he's worried that now it has tasted blood. Will it? Hmm. Suddenly, in pops antibody number five, aka killer, because that's what he calls it. Is you have more of these weird sort of grooming metaphors. If you think I'm going to let you sneak inside me when my back has turned, think again, killer. <clears throat> How dare you come near me, you black blot. Wow, it's hard to believe Randy has racial problems. Huh? <laughs> anyway, he refuses to let the antibody rest in him. I intend to see you dead, killer. You hear me? Dead. <laughs> He's... Okay. Wait a... Randy's getting a little weird. Yeah, simple. Your your you know thank you would do, Randy, because he saved your clinic. For yeah, him. you'd all be Charn's robots if it was uh, not for him. Anyway, moving on to the lighter side of the clinic, we have young Evan Hubner, who we all remember from issue something something, the orphan boy <laughs> eight. Our librarian is making a quick check. Uh, he is the uh, boy who had a briefly a antibody inside him. He's on a, his bed at the clinic reading a Captain America comic book and thinking to himself that uh, nobody loves him and also that the clinic will get rid of him once. Oh, issue 10. There it is. You got it. Yeah. It's a footnote on page seven. So he's thinking to himself that once the clinic realizes he's not a paranormal, they'll send him away. But um, he's lonely since he lost the killer and or since he lost the antibody, who is uh, uh, what he calls Shadow Man, and that he was the best friend he ever had. Which is a sad note. Thing. Editor's note. He had no friends. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> he has a uh, Spider-Man T-shirt now that I look carefully at it. Um, just then, one of the antibodies, uh, we don't know which one, pops through the, the wall, 
And he's like, you heard me. You came back. It's me, your friend. Anybody for just... you, you stupid kid. <laughs> it's like, I don't know nothing about no kids. Gotta go. He takes off, but Evan's like hopeful that he'll come back and is like, all right, he'll be back. He's my best friend. The next day, we have a uh, visit to the cafeteria where um, Scuzz, Dave Landers, and Lenore are waiting in line, and I guess Randy, uh, for their breakfast. Um, Scuzz is joking uh, to Jeff, who's uh, serving, that he can't believe that they hired him to serve, since we know he eats like incontrollable amounts of food every day. Um, And there's a strange like cameo in the, the corner of this panel, that makes me think he was Paul Ryan was drawing one of his friends or something. Yeah, there's like a weird face of a guy who's really like facing us, I guess. Like, yeah, it's very specific. It's it's like the uh, Norman Rockwell paintings where it's like he's there's like he's put himself into the painting and is like looking out of it at the viewer, but it doesn't look like the Paul Ryan I've ever seen. So I can only imagine it's some in joke or something. Anyway. Uh, or maybe it's a character we'll see later. I don't know. Uh, first uh, appearance cameo. Uh, it'll go down in his handbook entry. Anyway, Jeff and uh, Scuzz joke around a little bit more. Jeff's got like uh, the clinic's working on his metabolism, trying to help him moder- moderate it. And they, uh, others go down and sit at a table by themselves. Always sticking to themselves. I see how it is. We see the uh, young Evan Hubner over at a table by his lonesome and is now wearing a Fantastic Four t-shirt. Um, everyone says they look tired. Um, Stephanie is still in a coma or something. Dave has gone to visit her, but uh, we, she doesn't appear at all in this issue. Um, the others are... Uh, is you know chit chat and then don't look now but here comes that traitor Charlie and her dopey Black Powers gang and all uh, now six of them are mar- marching into the uh, cafeteria together and as Dave Landers points out hmm wonder where they got the matching jackets they all have like these nice jackets with their gang name embroidered on the back now and uh I know, DP7, you've had 15 issues and you never got yourselves like matching jackets. I feel like that ship has sailed already now. Yeah, and then it would just look like you're copying them. And Yeah, everyone would be like, oh, look, at, look at old DP7 trying to be cool like the Black Powers. Eh, Scuzz is like, imagine that broad preferring them to us. Yeah, imagine that, Scuzz. Look in the mirror, Scuzz. What do you <laughs> Well, they kind of look like a bowling team. Yeah, yeah, that's but I mean even if it wasn't like the racial thing, Scuzz, I mean, you're like a an annoying teenager. Everyone was like happy when you left in the first place. <laughs> so <laughs> anyway. So uh Scuzz is like um continues talking about Charlie and Randy takes off and Dave notes that Randy's now always uncomfortable around Charlie and they never told the others what happened between them, but it, it must've been something. 
uh, they didn't talk about. <clears throat> we could see uh, Randy going on his rounds. He is a resident now in the clinic, and uh, he goes to the room where uh, the two guards who had been hurt in the last issue are um, resting up. Benway and uh, Wiegler? Wiegland. Wiegand. Rod Wiegand. Um, A.K.A. Freefall and Tangler. And they are their usual pugnacious selves. Arthur and Rodney, how are you doing today? Fine till you got here, Doc Procto. Okay. Like, I'll show you Procto. <laughs> Open up that gown. So he's like, uh, your ribs will take another few weeks to mend. You guys given any thought to come and clean about what happened to you? You're not fooling anyone. What with certain of your injuries, like frostbite, it's obvious Chill Wexler and his friends were involved. <laughs> we told you, Doc. We fell down while eating popsicles. That's all. <laughs> I want to know if it's actually possible to give yourself frostbite with a popsicle. You know. And he's uh, he's like, are you guys um, afraid of reprisals? Or we ain't afraid of nobody. And there'll be plenty of disciplinary action going down when the time comes for it. You know, these guys have such weak superpowers to be like the the like bully racist crew. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, they'd be pretty good one on one, but not so good at, you know, against more than one, right? So if you can tangle up one guy, it's over, right? You've won. Or if you okay. can send someone floating up into the air, if they don't have some sort of useful distance power, right? That's uh, fair enough. They're they're against, I, I, I mean, they're stronger than a person with no powers. And then against another one to one, okay, that may be reasonable. But when you have like force punch and the other guy has small tangling vines of energy, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, uh, actually, one of them, dem Freefall demonstrates by lifting Randy up to the uh, ceiling. Uh, the other guy's like, uh, happy with it but uh, one of the antibodies pops out of Randy and uh, starts uh, threatening free fall and hey get off me Blackie <laughs> um, Randy yells at the antibody and uh, free fall complains that the thing stepped on his ribs and then he yells at the doctor you got some nerve Obi Having your charcoal bodyguard jump me. Wait till I tell your boss. Um, I, I look looking back. I he also called uh someone Obi in a previous issue. I've no, I don't even know what it, that word means. You know, Obi. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> okay. If Obi, I I mean we could make a connection. Mm -hmm. He's like a classic bully, though. It's funny because he's like tries to act tough, but then is also like whiny, like "Oh, you hurt me! I'm gonna tell." <laughs> That's very much so. Yeah. Um, we zip over to physical therapy where Lenore is on a uh, extra cycle, and Ziegler, who we'd seen in Cyforce, but uh, 
which gave him a first name Juris, which I don't think here we get. Lenore just, uh, you know, he, he, he starts talking to her and uh, is saying, his physicals never fail to surprise me. You claim to be 67, but I got 40 year olds who aren't as fit as you and don't look half as good either. Miss, you flatter me, Mr. Ziegler. Um, and I got to tell you, Paul Ryan is really selling her as an a, a attractive uh, female, uh, like 30 to ish woman. Uh, yeah, because usually she's in like like a gown, like a purple outfit, almost like a trench coat kind of suit. Yeah, the shadow she, look she had yeah, before. Yeah. Working out, she's in like a skin tight leotard kind of thing. So. And it's, yeah, I mean, that's like the Stephanie look. I mean, as our old friend Ken Connell would put it, mm, that body. <laughs> I love that Ziegler's all up on her, though. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> he's like a 25 from behind there. <laughs> Yeah, we don't uh we don't know who much about Ziegler, but he's uh he's pretty friendly here. Hmm, it seems every week you've managed to shed another year. Hmm. Keep this up and every guy up here over twenty five will be chasing you. Me included. Mr. Ziegler. I only call him like I see him, lady. <laughs> and uh Oh, he continues. It's a shame you can't let anyone look at you thanks to your parability. I bet you're a real looker. You're embarrassing me, sir. Another 10 years off, you'll almost be ready for Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> he is uh, like, oh, he seems to be uh, joking, but or is he really attracted to me? Mm, I'm just, I'm deluding myself. I am an old maid, never married, never really had a, what do you call it these days? A relationship with anyone? Jeez. Um, Lenore's never even had a boyfriend? That's what she says here. So uh, interesting um, background on Lenore. That's a, uh, uh, I don't know, fits into one of the categories of people will give themselves nowadays to uh, be more explicit about their whatever. But um, back then, yeah, you're just um, whatever, just never had a relationship okay um that afternoon uh we have the classroom for young paranormals and the teacher is actually again lenore uh we remember her background was as a latin teacher and um here she seems to be the only teacher so she probably teaches all subjects to all grades and we see scuzz and Evan Kubner and a couple of students that we don't have names for, but uh, don't look to be that much younger um, than uh, Scuzz, who is 15, 16, I think we said before, who had also dropped out of school. So it's uh, funny he's uh, going back to finish up now. But anyway, uh, Lenore is uh, does try to maintain order in the classroom. Um Scuzz is threatening Evan to tell him what his power is. And uh, she's like, boys, stop your chatter and finish your reading assignment. Um, Scuzz tell, tells him he will see him after class, Alfred E. Yeah, reference to Alfred E. Newman, I guess. Um, Scuzz wants to put together his own group like the Blacks did, as he says. <laughs> Which... <laughs> um we got hinted at that in the 
Cyforce episode that he wanted to start his own teen group. Yeah. So we I get... do like that he's wearing his sunglasses in class, though. Yeah, he's got the uh, the old aviators. He's looking. Uh... It's almost like the Adam Sandler movie where he goes back to grade school to uh, finish up or something. Right. <laughs> kind of used to Scuzz as the adult or the uh, the kid in an adult group. And here he's kind of the adult in a kid group. I don't know. Um, so Lenore uh, tells uh, Evan he's not reading the right thing and he'll have to stay after class. And he's actually quite happy because then it, he gets to avoid Scuzz uh, continuing to hassle him. Um, again, Lenore looking good in a slightly flowy shirt, but not as skin tight as we'd seen at the workout. Elsewhere, we have Randy at his therapy session with Dr. Semple, and he is, oh, it is Juris Ziegler. Okay. Um, he's talking about how Ziegler helped him develop some techniques to um, eject the antibody he doesn't like uh, when he feels like it, but that only works when he's awake. Again, the subtext of this is disturbing in so many <laughs> levels. A little weird, yeah. All it does is wait until I'm too tired to resist it. <laughs> <laughs> and Semple says uh, she's worried about uh, him losing so much sleep. And uh, Randy makes an interesting point that he, even though the antibodies look indistinguishable to everybody else, he knows them each by sight. And uh, he wasn't sure whether they were all coming out before because it would only be one at a time so he doesn't remember know that whether it was a different one but uh, she's he's got various options for what he can do to get rid of this killer um, and he doesn't know how to accomplish any of them one find a way to kill the creature Two, find a way of locking it out of him permanently or three, find a way of locking it inside him permanently. Simple thinks maybe hypnosis would work. And, um, you know, maybe if it's his subconscious that is controlling this, then con they could control his subconscious through hypnotism. He says, let's give it a try. We bop back over to the classroom where uh, Lenore is uh, going over the reading with Evan and... Um, uh, this, uh, um, she becomes distracted as she says I feel so jittery all of a sudden like I need the jolt that energy draining gives me could my body somehow be sensing the proximity proximity of a youthful life force that can't be so <laughs> he's just a small boy it would not be fair to leech from him but I need it so badly I feel like I will die without just a little. <laughs> she starts taking off her glove and Evan hits the desk. Face plants. <laughs> Ooh, she's a full on addict now. Yeah, she's got the the uh, shakes whenever she runs out of energy. She's addicted to child energy. <laughs> oh. Nothing will stop it. Nothing to get what I have. Must mostly, have. Mostly naked black men is not enough. <laughs> it's getting weird. 
Oh, my goodness. Uh, now young, young boys. Um, anyway, I have, I will stop hiding this compulsion from my therapist. I must tell her maybe she can help me. Uh, anyway, uh, no, no one can help me. This is no simple chemical dependency to be treated. This is a function of my paranormal body itself. It's hopeless. Evan uh, wakes up and is like, oh, I'm sorry. I fell asleep. I was so tired. That's all right. You can go now. And uh, he, he walks away in shame. I hope she doesn't tell on me because of this. Again, um... Anyway, she's she's like uh, glad he he left. I God help me, I would have leached him again. That night, man, uh, she goes to visit Jeff and uh, hey, you're early, Nori, old girl. I don't, I I never liked that Nori that he calls her. I always found that uh, anyway, like the seaweed and sushi. Yeah, yeah, maybe that's why. <laughs> And he's like, hubba hubba, I like your outfit. She's got like a, a mm, I don't know, jumpsuit that uh, slightly different than what she's been wearing before. It's more like her workout outfit. It's not super tight, but you, uh, she is in good shape again. Uh, they talk for a minute. She's like, Jeff, I don't think it's a good idea for me to zone you to sleep anymore. I'm worried about your your energy your energy having a bad effect on me lately. And I can't really tell you too much more. He's like, Oh, I, you know, I understand, but I, you know, it's hard for me and I don't want to get back on drugs. And she's like, okay, well I'll do it one more time. Minutes later, I managed to stop myself from taking as much energy as I craved, but it hurts so much gotta walk away before i go back for more she thinks this is gonna she's got to master this addiction somehow and we switch yeah, over to like stumbles off and leaving the door open on the poor guy oh yeah yeah i'm trying to keep the door locked now that i'm worried that the place will descend into a racial riot anytime anyway just leave it open on your way out though uh now that you're i'm sleepy and defenseless uh, <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, we we don't get taken up on that. Randy is um, thinking to himself uh, about his uh, antibody uh, while he's walking down the hall doing his rounds. And uh, the male members of the Black Power Click group um, come by and confront him. Well, looky here. They've got a boombox. Uh, did you look up the song? I'm not quite sure what it was. Uh, I think it's Gloria Estefan. You really say Miami Sound Machine at the time? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Not not the, not the toughest song mm. to be. Uh... Straight off the street, street yeah. of Miami. That is. Um, bad boys, bad boys, boys will be boys. Okay, yeah. I'm not gonna try singing it. My my thoughts immediately went to like the old theme song for Cops, the TV show. Yeah, yeah, that's more what I. But then the lyrics didn't match up. Yeah, yeah they did yeah. not. Bad boys, bad boys. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, just in case you need a little bit more hint that these four, uh, young men in matching jackets walking down the hall and pointing at you were up to no good. Well, looky here. 
If it ain't Doc Hotshot. Uh, excuse me, I've got to. We haven't forgotten how your de- you and your demons messed with us, man. Well, we was willing to let you slide, seeing it how such you're you're such a wuss and all. Till you hear you started agitating our woman friction again. You mean Charlie? I haven't even talked to her in at least a month. But you've been having your demon go spy on her all the time. What? Fuck, <laughs> I don't have any control over my antibodies. In fact, there's one of them that's a renegade. It purposefully, purposely does things I find repugnant. A little too much information there, guy. I mean, they yeah. don't really care that much. They're just picking a fight with you. And Randy's uh, noticed that there's a new one, in fact. Who is that big bruiser? He must have just joined. Um, Don't try to snow us with that double talk jive. Yo, Bazooka, this soda cracker's crowding me. You can have him. Um, That's uh, blind spot is pushing Randy towards Bazooka, who's a pretty big guy. Um, Not Dave big, but big. Bodybuilder big. Is that a threat I hear? Stop, please, or else? Is that a threat I hear? Okay, well. Um, Randy's antibody or jumps out, and the others are like, um, there's only one of us, and there's there's only one of him and four of us. Whoop, here comes three more antibodies. So the antibodies and the black powers start mixing it up. Blind spots like flying turkeys aren't gonna get over on me. I'm fading. And uh, Bazooka's like, I, you want to meet one of my Bazooka blasts, mud pie? Whoops, missed. Uh, Squirm, who we saw last issue, but we couldn't really tell what his power was, seems to be kind of a like rubber man or something because he kind of wraps himself around one of the antibodies. Yeah, his arms look sort of unusually flexible, but it's still. A little vague. Yeah. He's uh he's thinking to himself, I'm scared, but if I don't put up a fight, the brothers will think I'm wussy. So as we saw again last issue, Squirm and Charlie aren't as um let's say pugnacious as as some of the other black powers who are always seem to be spoiling for a fight. Um as I said, like gives you kind of a like an inner city vibe to some of their um yeah, the dialogue so it's like uh the random uh effects of the white event endowed some <laughs> some rather sketchy folks with uh superpowers and uh they ended up at the clinic as well so anyway at all this uh chill runs a um water fountain to spray one of the antibodies with water and then freeze it in a block of ice, which is good sort of X-Men sort of uh, power use, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, Randy tells the antibodies to stop fighting and go away. Um, luckily, right then, he's hit from behind by blind spot. Nobody ever sees blind spot come up on him until it's too late. Got him. Nailed the demon good. Um Randy's trying to stay awake so he can have a little control over the antibodies, but he collapses. And so now the antibodies can go wild. Next page, Lenore is uh, running down the hall to find out what all the commotion is. And she finds the four men 
fighting with the four antibodies. Horrible visu. Like, you know, what a horrible sight in Latin. The black paranormals, Randy's antibodies. And there's Randy on the floor. He may be herp. And the only way I can help is I'm going to have to do it. And I didn't really notice this on the first read through, but she like isn't just taking, yeah, she isn't just taking off her mask. She's grabbing at the um, her shirt, and I think she's ripping her shirt open as well to like maximize how. So she's flashing them with as much like body uh, as she can. <laughs> uh, so the next page or next panel, they're all um, being hit by the bioluminescence. And after the panel after that, they're all on the floor. And she's everybody, the antibodies are down, all the black powers are down. Randy was already down. Yep. They're all uh even the antibodies, surprisingly. And uh she is getting dressed again. (laughs) She's pretty psyched. Uh the sickeningly sweet energies of them all throb through me, charging me up like never before picks up Randy and is thinking to herself, it's going to take me a very long time to come down from this feeding. I feel like I'd lift the whole lot of them at once. Um, you know, it's interesting. Did not press get it, got it yet. It's going to take me a very long time to come down from this feeding. I feel like I could lift the whole lot of them at once. But it's only Randy I'm concerned with. Um, She lifts up randy and is carrying him back to her room which isn't reminds me of stephanie how like her power became like not just healing but also being stronger than uh, even like a normal man right so maybe she's evolving a little bit and kind of stealing strength and using it right so and it's interesting it's also funny that like it's the women who become like the stronger characters that's true. Randy, yeah. I, I, is never like I could arm wrestle anyone. He's, in fact, everyone calls him a wimp in this issue. But right. and Indigo is sort of the the woman is the leader of the Black Powers too, and has a pretty strong paranormal ability as well. Though she wasn't there for the brawl, right? She's uh, Lenore takes uh Randy back to his room, and it cuts to. A couple of medics checking on him and the antibodies, which I don't know, they she piled in the corner there. Uh, the medic says he looks fine, and they're gonna go check on the other four. And they take off, and Randy wakes up. He's uh, explains a little, uh, but he's mostly surprised that two of the antibodies are zoned out, and she, she tells him that uh, she did it with her power. He's like, I didn't know your parability affected them. Wow, this is fantastic. Huh? Yeah. Um, he tells her a little about how he wants to um, do something with the uh, killer antibody. And maybe her power could tranquilize it. And then they could find some way to destroy it. And Lenora's like, I'm sorry, but I don't think I could help you with that. I don't know how much energy it would take to kill it, and I'd worry about its effect on you. He's like, he brushes that off. But it would also be a bad effect on me, she says. Uh, I'm having a really hard time with my parability. And he feels bad for asking her to do something, and he uh, 
is worried about uh, uh, her, you know, what what all this is doing to her. And they kind of commiserate about how their body, her body is out of control. And in a way, his antibody, which is an extension of him, is out of control. And uh, they promise not to talk about this to other people just yet. And uh, he thanks her for helping. Again, he, um, she totally paid, you know, uh, pulled his hat uh, from the fire there. But that night, uh, the antibody is coming back and, ha, can't get in, killer. He, Randy wakes up and uh, threatens the antibody. I've erected a barrier in my subconscious. You feel it? You'll never get inside me again. <laughs> oh, Randy. And then the other four are there, like all kind of um, making uh, jokey faces as well. We've expelled you from our group. Now get lost. And he's like, well, Semple's hypnotism did the trick. I hope this uh, does, you know, doesn't drive the antibody to crazy. The killer drives the killer crazy. And that's a good plan, Randy. <laughs> anyway. We zip back to um, Lenore looking at herself in the mirror and she's like, I've got to cut off contact with other people. There's too much to uh, be a temptation being around them, but it'll be difficult and I will probably lose my girlish figure, my youthful muscle tone, my vitality. If only I'd had really enjoyed my second chance at youth before giving it up. Such a foolish thought. Am I destined to go to my grave without ever knowing a man's loving embrace disturbing <laughs> and then she's uh, unless would it be possible and she goes to a phone and it's yeah, what's up with the, the oldest phone? phone in the world i don't know yeah like Lenore's old let's give her this old phone she will appreciate that in her room well let's decorate everything as if it's an antique yes she uh she calls mr ziegler this is lenore fenzel in room 321 I'm sorry to bother you, but I just had an idea that cannot wait until morning. Could you stop by the arts and crafts room and bring me some non-toxic paint? Why? Because I'd like you to paint my body with it. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. It's getting steamy. <laughs> we got a uh, we got a little more detailed uh, face for Lenore, and yeah, she's looking youthful and attractive as opposed to, you know ancient and um we finish up with a quick uh splash over to evan uh on bed reading comic books again and uh the antibody who maybe got expelled from randy comes back what shadow man you came back and uh, say you don't look so hot kind of fuzzy around the edges i think you need some rest you can rest in me if you want nice going randy the antibody was coming to you to get inside you at nighttime, but now he's getting inside children. Man, if you thought this was, you know, getting dark before, it's like gotten whole new levels. These last, anyway, these last maybe four or five issues have all had like some innuendo or mention of child problems. Uh, so yeah, uh, the antibody goes inside Evan. And our last panel, Evan is hugging himself and is happy at last. And uh, it just says the end for now. So kind of a happy ending-ish. So um, 
Yeah, because I guess the white event isn't, as they say, uh, mutation. Um, paranormality can occur at any age. So it's not just like you hit puberty and if you're a mutant, you develop your powers. Um, so it does make sense to have children with uh, parabilities, as they call them. Right. And old people. So. Uh, a lot going on in this issue. Um, very busy. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of jumping back and forth between Randy and Lenore and the kid. Sometimes it's amazing how much they jam into just one issue. Uh, Then the Black Powers, the uh, administrative figures, the classrooms, shenanigans. Um, But yeah, as you say, Randy and Lenore are the central... uh, figures and um so you have a nice sort of parallel between randy's problems and lenore's problems and they i don't know that they come to like a mutually satisfying conclusion but we at least have some progress yeah some Uh, moving forward it's it's interesting i feel like randy has gone from sort of a lead character and maybe one of the more um relatable ones to being kind of unlikable it's uh me as a reader you know i mean what he did with charlie is rough you know i can't date a black woman uh but then um no no he said he he could date a black woman but he couldn't marry one so right so that he wouldn't date her because he couldn't yeah one would lead to the other right so just boy um but then like you know you know as as the reader i'm i'm siding with the antibody that killed charn right like he is way too heavy on that thing yeah yeah you're like yeah excommunicating it for what like saving you all i don't know man Um, maybe it's hard to relate and kind of imagine yourself in his situation of like having now five people that come out of his body and he can't quite control them and maybe that it would be kind of scary because you, you although most of the time they're kind of you know just wandering around and not really causing any problems maybe slightly annoying at worst um like if he can't order them and they don't always listen or you get some of that genie in the bottle thing where you, you tell him to do something and it's a little too literal and it causes problems and you know maybe maybe that would be stressful in a a clinic environment but but yeah he just seems real whiny yeah it's uh hard to say where we're going with randy because um as he did sort of start off as a central figure you i i I can't quite tell whether we're going to get like new center figures or it'll just kind of expanding as a ensemble cast and you're just um there is no central figure you know right Um, it's uh it is difficult to yeah because like they go through a lot of trouble to explain his feelings here but i'm still yeah like i don't find it as morally objectionable as as he does that this thing um killed this character a couple of issues ago uh it was definitely getting 
to a very uh do or die point so yes <laughs> um i don't know i and i don't know the the uh, it sometimes feels like you know comic books really work themselves into pretzels trying to um establish this morality that's it's as uh, sometimes as unrealistic as the powers themselves you know like you know oh to ever kill is to you know the worst blah 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 right. i'll become just like the villains and blah 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 yeah yeah, yeah. so really you know I, that kind of a moral <laughs> dilemma is not really what i want out of the book so um lenore sort of having too much fun with her power and it becoming like physically addictive to her is an interesting angle i don't think we'd really gotten uh, a hint of before um yeah yeah it's kind of neat because it, it's an upside because she's getting younger like maybe she could mix it up and be part of the action save the day that kind of thing use your powers but uh upside with the downside too which is interesting yeah the, uh... i don't know if if uh, <laughs> next issue starts with ziegler getting out breaking out the body paint the, the comics code might have some trouble I I uh, I'm just remembering the uh, the the woman in the movie Goldfinger, you know, painted right. head to toe. Um, yeah, I don't know how she's how he's going to apply the paint with without falling asleep. So I'm right. not quite sure how this will work itself out. But it would be amusing to uh, open up and like uh, Lenore and Ziegler on a date or something, you know. It's... <laughs> Well, if her clothes block her power, if he wore like a full-on hazmat suit and like a welder's mask, would that block her power? Maybe, maybe. is that the defense against Lenore? I don't know. Yeah, it's a good point. Usually, people are fully dressed, so when she zones them out, um, but it's always talks about like her bioluminescence, not their exposure to it. So. Anyway, and let's see. Charlie doesn't really say anything. She's stuck with the beat, the black powers, even though she wasn't too happy with them. Um, for whatever reason, she still feels like she can't uh, go back to the DP seven. Um, whether Randy hurt it to her too much, or she's too embarrassed with all this going on. Um, the evil uh guards are still are going to get out of the hospital soon and we'll have another confrontation with them i'm sure uh the kids want to start their own gang um and black powers are becoming as or more belligerent so a lot of stuff going on at the clinic and uh things will only get more um exciting yeah we're we're building to something i'm guessing some kind of multi-epic clinic throwdown sounds good do we you want to throw out a grade uh i'm struggling between a minus and b plus i'm thinking b plus i don't know that's just my feel it feels like a good solid average dp7 issue 
Yeah, I am with you on B plus. I think it's it's a little. Yeah, it it has the the basics are there. Um, and even though I kind of argue with some of it, you know, it throws in some new cool new ideas. Um, but it it yeah it, it feels sort of interstitial, like you're just sort of setting up pieces for a future move. Right. I don't know. Yeah, it's okay if the characters make decisions I don't like, right? Like it's not necessarily yeah. a failing of the writing, but yeah, there's a little too much, a little too many thought bubbles. <laughs> <laughs> Always a danger with the the 80s. So we had a, another letters uh, column, as we said, um, letters to DP7. And remember, yeah, they they never did want to get uh, an actual letters column name so letters to dp7 there we are that's what we get um, um yeah th only three because they're so long <laughs> they are um let me tell you something i have a problem with the new universe about <laughs> and another thing and, and another thing <laughs> and as andy pointed out uh, uh off off uh mike um Maybe because they'd uh, said nice things in all the letters in the previous issue that they published, they've got a lot of negative <laughs> uh, letters now, or at least three of them, and uh, they take the time to answer the criticisms. Um, first letter asks for more interaction with Cyforce. Any chance of a Cyforce crossover? Which, as I said, is actually we were thinking this issue might be a, a follow-up to the Cyforce, um, which uh, explicitly said. But it did not be the case. The character on the cover was Evan Hubner, the um, orphan, not Michael Crawley, the Cyforce uh, character. Yeah, and at the end of Cyforce, they told us, you know, look to DP seven sixteen, where you can see Michael in Cyforce. But ah, so we got that to look forward to. Um, yeah, the response was kind of confirmed, kind of what we were getting pushes that what's next too is like you know, uh, next issue a Cyforcer joins Scuzz's gang of teenage paranormals, the DD teens. <laughs> Uh, that's not quite a full-scale team-to-team encounter, but we think you're going to find them dot, 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 interesting. Let us know. So, okay. Michael finds belonging, and he's now joining up with Scuzz, which is an interesting, because they're nothing like each other. Indeed. Um, you remind me a lot of Wayne. Mm, I don't know. The uh, next letter has more um, arguments with the physics and how like still not very realistic they are of uh, blurs, um, whatever, rapid motion. Um, they talk about the time that's passed in the book. And as we said before, DP7 was the most flexible in terms of its timeline not being like very month to month okay here's a month later here's a month later there were like um here's a few 
you know, here's their their escapades while they're escaped from the clinic all took place in this sort of short time span. And then there's a long time span when they're all uh, comatose and um, being controlled and things like that. And that really seems to bother people. I don't know why. It's just who cares? Yeah, I mean, it's it's. A complaint about the new universe, like not uh, obeying its own rules, sometimes was a little overdone because they were, you know, I think, like we said, Shooter tried to keep things within a certain range of of, um, possibilities, but he still had some fantastic elements, some, you know, crazy things. And I mean people are are limited in terms of how much they can create a a fun story out of um you know being too realistic um i think our, our second letter writer mark e dunlap loses all credibility for me when he starts talking about the characters he likes um and stephanie's husband chuck so like near the end, he's like, please don't let Chuck disappear. He's a very important part of this cast also. I'm like, who likes Chuck? Chuck's terrible. Maybe he's just open for more Chuck gets beat up. Uh, yeah, I think he found Chuck relatable. <laughs> don't throw um, away the Chuck. <laughs> um, we do have that like the a year anniversary of escaping the clinic happened between issues 13 and 14. So, um, there's a lot of, uh, more of these details over in the last letter from a hurricane Huron. Um, and while these letters are all fairly positive, they do, you know, they're kind of complaining about the small details that are bothering them about the new universe. And part of it is also the like idea that the new universe is always the world outside your window. Um, I think Gruenwald definitely says here and other places that no, it's not any longer the world outside your window. We were using that as the starting point. And so it's, you know, we, we can't just keep all the paranormals hidden all the time forever um because if you had this much going on in the real world yeah word would get out and eventually you know it'd be a substantially different world you're living in um certainly they minimize that as more than like a marvel universe where there's these large i don't know atlantis attacks and you know all kinds of crazy wars among the paranormals like yeah public super teams and yeah. galactus comes down and all this um but yeah people like are either why don't you make the more new universe more exciting but then they're also like why don't you make it more realistic if you have you know things um always hidden they're like you know you're, you how can you have the world go on when uh, Ken Connell had, was fighting terrorists with a nuke. And then I, you know, as I, uh, 
you know, as I would say, the the description of the new universe in Wikipedia still echoes some of these questions people had. So it was like a source of tension, I think, all through the new universe. Like if you keep everything hidden and a secret, um, it's not big enough for people. But if you st word starts getting out and then, you know, there, there's paranormals in the newspaper. Well, now you haven't kept things the way they were when in 1986. Right. So you're you're you get it from both ends. I don't know. Damned if you do, damned if you don't. I think they will have bigger events as we go along, or at least. Um, so let's see. DP7. So they explain a little about that. The clinic was a former sanitarium um, that was converted to the clinic by Voigt and associates very quickly after the white event. Um, so the, you know, the timeline's a little rushed, but okay. Then they um, talk about justice and the idea that dad has been in, on earth for many years. And they say, see justice number 15th for the truth behind that and other characters and events in that series. You'll be surprised. <sighs> yeah, okay. Like they've been planning it all along or something. So there's also a... Um, thing we've heard before that the uh, beyonder in secret wars 2 at the end of which decide sort of absconds to another universe and decides to create a new universe and as um as they say that's just a new universe it's not the new universe so the beyonder did not create the new universe which is our universe <laughs> <laughs> universe so <laughs> um any other notes in that well i'd say like right after that like uh, the, the last sort of editorial comments pretty interesting so it's like point four the origin of the white event no really it wasn't the beyonder or um and it says see star brand number 12 for the lowdown on the new used genesis point so oh, okay let's uh I forget we're so far behind on Star Brand, and I think Eleven is next. But I guess yeah, they're, they're going to explain the white event. They're already planning to explain it. Yeah, the uh, next issue of Star Brand we'll get to is number eleven in a couple weeks, and so twelve's a little further off. But it'll be uh, explaining the white of it. And we saw that ad with Star with Ken Connell in a superhero outfit. So get ready for some letters complaining about superheroes existing in the new universe. All right. I can <laughs> hardly wait. Surely that'll be the only complaint people have, though. Um, let's see. And that, I guess, wraps it up for DP7. I think we will hit the um, universe news along with the issue of justice next time so uh we will continue covering the new universe next episode with just justice number 15 yeah and that should be an exciting one so don't skip it as if you shouldn't skip any of them but don't skip that one uh justice 15 the truth of justice's origin is revealed webster was his dad all along what what
I made that up. Uh, and the dad concept. was his dad all along. <laughs> oh, geez. Ah. Yeah, Dan Webster. He had two dads. It's a little uh, too forward thinking there. I, don't I guess. Know. I don't know. 88. <laughs> anyway, the truth of justice's origin is revealed, not the stupid one that we just came up with. Uh, and the consequences of that knowledge is a real killer. Does that mean something? Uh, written by Mark Gruenwald and illustrated by Lee Weeks. Grunewald writes Justice 15? Is that true? I don't know if that's true. Um, we'll see. We'll, I haven't cracked uh, it open yet. We'll leave it there for now. But yeah, the um, Justice 15 came, like I say, came out the same week as this issue of DP 715. Um, and supposedly this is what it's all been building to. Or so we think, based on you know, a lot of the descriptions of Marvel Age, descriptions in uh, the letter column. We will finally get the truth. Okay. <laughs> so in we'll be back with that. In the meantime, you can always find us at our website, kickersinc.com. You can email us at newuniversepodcast at gmail.com. We still have Twitter at kickersinc. And we'll give a shout out to our friends over at the Facebook Marvel Facebook fan page, Marvel Comics New Universe fans. This has been the voice of the new universe, and we'll see you back at the spinner rack. Don't throw away the chuck. It's your universe, idiot. <laughs>